0: Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Kana Albinas.
1: Makalua.
2: The main team.
1: Mega Bears fan.
2: <laughs> Hello,
1: internets, and welcome to yet another episode of Polycast. This one is episode number 365, and I am one of your regular hosts, Mega Bears fan, joined by
2: Makalua.
0: 50 minutes of exciting qualifying, followed up by 10 minutes of business as usual. Oh,
1: yay.
2: The me and team. Flanking from all sides, even the front side.
1: And we have a guest joining us this week, the Chris D.
3: Oh, guest co-host number 7,439
2: loaded. <laughs> <laughs> Impressive.
1: We have four. Oh, Cor- one,
0: one day we'll be over 9,000. Uh,
2: <laughs> I don't know
3: about We're that. Over- do we have to smash some scouters when we do so?
2: Yes. If we actually get over 9,000, then it's time to smash some scouters. I think that's a worthy celebration, among other things.
1: So before we get into our main top, dang it
2: you did a fell.
1: <laughs> okay, are we uh we good this time? <laughs> you can talk now <laughs> all right dang it ah. Uh. I specifically asked about that before we started the show, and then I still screwed it up. All right, so before we get into uh, our uh, main topics for today, we do have a little tiny bit of uh, news-slash-rumor kind of stuff, which is—well, I guess it's not a rumor, because it's right here on the Steam page, which I have open. Uh, Firaxis announced uh, what's going to be in the uh, next New Frontiers pack. Uh, Well, some of it, anyway. Uh, So we are going to be getting the new Civilization Ethiopia, which will be adding one new civilization and leader and uh, apparently one new game mode with a double asterisk. What's that? So it requires the rise and fall or gathering storm expansion to play. So I assume that means it's going to utilize loyalty or eras or something that was added by the rise and fall uh, expansion. Uh, It's also going to include one new district and two new buildings and will be available in July. And the fact that they specifically mention a new district and a new building, or two new buildings, sorry, is uh, interesting because they did not mention that in the Maya and Grand Columbia pack. There was nothing about new units or new buildings. So I think we can probably assume that these are not going to be the unique district and buildings for ethiopia that they will in fact be new districts and new buildings that will be available to anybody unless they're just part of the new game mode which i guess is also a possibility
3: i wonder maybe have they maybe brought in you know the the plague scenario maybe have they, have they brought that in so they you know the unique district you had in the the plague scenario i forget the name of it but it's possible that could be a, that could be what we get
1: yeah some kind of maybe medical district or apothecary or something like that
3: like the world, I think it was called the World Quarter or something. They had, you know, castles and everything else in it.
1: Yeah, I didn't could play that something. scenario, so...
3: Yeah. Could be something for, like, maybe early housing or something. Kind of like a neighborhood
1: light or something. Possibly. So, yeah, we have... I just keep.
0: I just keep trying to figure out if new district means a wholly new separate district, or it's going to be a replacement. Like, technically, you could call like the Saewon from Korea as a new district, but it's still a campus.
1: Yeah, I'm so assuming, like I said, that they mean that it's a new district being added to the game because, like I said, the Maya Grand Columbia did not make any mention of there being new districts or units or whatever that replaced existing ones uh, as uniques for those civilizations. So, again, I'm assuming it's something that will be new, that will be added to the game. Uh, sorry, added to the game. There's
3: no mention of the observatory. was no mention of the... the Commandante General and all that sort of stuff, the Clonero, in the Mayan Grand Columbia pack, but it's it's worth noting only the Ethiopia pack and the fifth pack specifically mention a new district. So, right. kind of get the feeling that we are talking global districts for everyone.
1: Yeah, and I, I think we can all safely assume that Ethiopia will have a new piece of infrastructure and a unique unit that will replace, you know, existing ones in the game, just like every other ci- uh, civilization
2: has had so far. <laughs> nope, they're getting a lot of unique units. <laughs> Boats, for sure. That would definitely you know, work for <laughs> definitely work for Ethiopia. A little, that that
0: a famous Ethiopian navy, too.
2: Yeah, historically dominating the seas.
1: But yeah, sadly, there's uh, not much for us to talk about on this topic because. As far as I know, there's been no announcement of like what Ethiopia is, who their leader is going to be, what any of their abilities are going to be, any of the uniques. And as we've just mentioned, no indication of what this new game mode or district or buildings will be. So uh, I think they're supposed to have like live streams and stuff like that on Monday to formally announce all this stuff. So in two weeks, I guess we'll have uh, more information about Ethiopia and the new game mode.
0: And we'll have played it and we'll know whether it was good or not. Hopefully.
1: Uh, oh yeah, I don't know, maybe. I don't know when in July it releases. Well, wasn't it in May did the last one release? Was it like the middle of the, I thought it was like the very end of May.
3: towards the end, 21st is when the uh, the Steam page says the Frontier Pass went up for sale, and I think it was pretty much up for sale the day it came out, didn't it?
1: So our next recording would be what, July 25th? 5th. So yeah, this may be out in time for our next recording. If not, we'll definitely have more information to talk about. So we should have a preview, proper preview by then.
2: Should. Okay, so next up we have a thread started by uh, Guns, Germs, and Steel, and it is titled New Game Mode Speculation. No rewards for guessing what kind of things will be in this thread. Uh, He said so far, underwhelmed by the Apocalypse Mode, and has a few suggestions for uh, game modes that uh, he or she would like to see. Uh, Plagues and diseases, (laughs) we could bring back the health system from Cip4, guys, let's do it. Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> another uh, proposal is Monopoly, a game that focuses heavily on commerce. Which also. Uh, corporations.
1: It would basically just be a feature from Civ 4 again. Because remember, the Civ 4 second expansion had the corporations thing. Yeah,
0: we on. could also bring and, back and say, Sushi. Uh, among and, and there's the Outback Tycoon scenario already, which is kind of focused on money, so.
2: Uh, this one would be. Well, no, this is the callback to Civ 2, the Civil War, uh, Deeper Look into Loyalty, where you could have uh, oh. cities within six tiles, have shared loyalty, form a free state, and become a pseudo-civilization. So yeah, yeah, okay.
1: I like that the idea ties it into the uh, loyalty mechanic and the proximity of the cities, rather than just being like random cities in your empire flip because you entered a dark age or something like that, which is, uh, you know, some of the other ideas that I've heard for Civil Wars in the past.
2: Yeah. Or
0: when you, or when you're going on a conquering spree and you walk through all the territory and you conquer the cities and they flip behind you because you didn't put in a governor, and now they're their own new city state. The question is, do they
1: hate you or like you? Well, and again, it's not even a city state; it's more like a barbarian oh. city, effectively, because yeah.
2: it's at war with everybody all the time. Then we've got the uh, Stone Age, Caveman Cosmos mod question mark. A uh, new set of uh, prehistory units and goods as the uh, proposal.
1: I do think I that adding a, a brief nomadic period before you settle your first city uh, would be a neat thing to have in uh, in Civilization. It would give you a better lay of the land, let you pick where you want your capital to be, uh, uh, stuff like that. I think that would be a, a, a neat little addition.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, I think that that would be a nice add to the base game, and it would do a lot to ease the difficulties of making balanced starting positions. Because now you have a reasonably higher percentage of terrain available to each player to select where they settle, uh, so the odds of anybody getting something particularly uh terribly weak or you know that that would go down significantly if you set it up that way
1: of course So yeah, that'd be cool on its own depending on how it is set up and balanced, it could also open up the greater risk of you dying and losing the game before you've even founded your capital so.
0: Yeah, but you could... You, you don't I have to...
1: Like that
2: what was that, Mackie?
0: <laughs> yeah, but Dan turns the barbarians off in the game, so he wouldn't have them.
2: Or you could just have them not spawn during that time frame, just like Sephora didn't spawn yeah. barbarians in the first few turns. Right. Like, that's I mean, not te- hard. I mean,
0: yeah, technically at that point, you're a barbarian too.
1: I mean, I-, I was talking more about, like, the risk of running into another player's units, oh. CIVs units, before you've settled your city, because, like, you know, again, you could wait longer than everyone else, and, you know, everyone else could rush to settle before you, and uh, stuff like that. So there-, there would be things like that to consider with it, but I- I- on principle, I think it would be a neat mm-hmm. and welcome addition to the uh, the game formula that, uh, as Phil said, would uh, help promote you know, help potentially help promote uh, game balance uh, long term.
3: You also have to think it would definitely reduce all of those uh, posts on our slash save with. Look at my terrible start.
1: <laughs> it, it would do that too. Yeah, and you could maybe all
2: eventually.
1: You could maybe even have uh, civilizations like you know uh, Mongolia or the Huns or you know some Native American civilizations that maybe have uh, unique abilities that are focused around remaining nomadic for uh, longer uh, periods of the game, and you know like having other ways that they create units and, you know, uh, do stuff like that. So opens up a lot of neat possibilities. That would be interesting, but very
2: hard to balance, I would guess. And then the uh, last game mode proposed here is Conservation, which creates a new hex type, Wilderness. And there would be different types of wild animals. These hexes provide faith in our culture, but would disappear as the environment worsens. So I guess it's not only a game mode, though. It's like an extra mechanic. Because, yeah. like, well, how are you, like, how does that drive victory? I could see how some of these others
1: could drive I mean, victory. Well,
0: do, you, do you start in a pre-sort of populated scenario where you're already at a certain stage of climate change and planting them helps slow it down for so many, you have to make it for the next 20 turns without destroying the planet or something?
1: I guess. I think there could be room in the game for maybe you have uh, for players to maybe have access to like an earlier form of the zoo uh, building that's maybe even part of the campus district, either the campus district or the entertainment complex, where maybe you uh, they actually have wild animals that spawn in the game, and maybe you collect them similar to relics and put them in your zoos or menagerie or whatever um, in order to like you know get science and, and culture from them and tourism. Yeah,
0: Old World has uh, events that pop up like that, where you're having the lion, you get... Like, there's one where you capture a lion, and you get more science. Or you can take it to have your heir study it, and they become a more scientifically-minded person. Like
1: yeah, I, I was kind of surprised to not see that in uh, in vanilla uh, Civ 6. I was also surprised, uh, considering that... I-, I remember there was an early, like promotional screenshot or or still that showed the uh, uh, I think it was the archaeological museum in the uh, theater square and it has the the dinosaur skeleton like out in front of it like the T-Rex or whatever and you know when that uh, the, when that screenshot first came out, they didn't say like what this stuff was. It was just a screenshot with like no context. So I thought it meant like we'd be digging up like dinosaur fossils and stuff like that, and putting them in museums, like having an actual like paleontology thing, which I also think would have been a cool thing to have uh, in Civ Six, which would basically be like a science equivalent of the Great Works and Relics. Yeah,
0: because every time you go digging for artifacts, I'm like the little icon for dig up an artifact is a skull, like it's
1: yeah.
3: a dinosaur or something. But you never dig up a dinosaur, though. Right. Yeah, never. Maybe I of those, uh, those sites, like, pre-placed on the map at the start, generated for, like, pre-ancient artifacts.
1: Right, and maybe you could even have something where, like, before you've actually discovered, like, a paleontology tech or civic, like, you don't even know what they are. Maybe you dig them up and it's like, ooh, we found a dragon bone. Right, and like you put it in like your holy site, and it's like a holy relic that creates faith or something. And then later in the game, you research, you know, paleontology or or archaeology or whatever the heck the requirement would be. And it's like, oh nope, wait, they're not dragons; they're dinosaurs. And now you put them in your natural history museums, and they generate science.
0: Yeah, like if you go digging for your city center or one of the districts, and you happen to put it on top of where it should have a, a fossil site. Then you get the fossil then, and you're acting like, ooh, it's dragon bones. Maybe it's even air-quoted in the text. And then when you actually research, or like it's maybe in the civics tree for the paleontology, then, oh, wait, dinosaurs plus science.
1: Yeah, I-, I thought for sure that would be in the game when those first early stills came out, but I was disappointed that it wasn't, and disappointed that there are no dinosaurs in Civ yet. Boo. Well,
3: we end up, you know, digging them up and possibly reanimating them and turning them into a new future unit.
1: That's right. There's already an I- achievement for that. Yeah, replace the uh, giant death robot with a giant death T-Rex mech. <laughs> like the Xenos- from Beyond Earth. <laughs> Let's see. What other ideas are in this thread? I see a couple posts suggesting things with about pandemics. I think that's pretty uh, high on a lot of people's minds right now. <laughs> yeah. I wonder why that
2: might be. Uh, the well,
0: third... I, didn't we didn't we have a plague, Black Death plague
1: scenario in either four or five? Yeah.
3: We had it in this one, in the this expansion. Like I think it came with Gathering Storm.
1: Yeah, it was even part of like the the trailer, you know, cinematic. So it, it was kind of weird to not see that be part of like the actual core game, considering that it was highlighted in the trailer. Let's see, the third post in this thread from Alexander's Hettori, uh says uh, what I want and then lists a lot of similar things. And then what I expect, an alien invasion question mark. So, you know, I guess people suspecting more crossover with the XCOM franchise.
0: Well, they already put in an alien faction into the Red Death thing. So, yeah, having actual ha- having to deal with that again would not be somebody uh, somebody did suggest mad scientist mode basically barbarian soothsayer that can cause a wider range of disasters unless you go get him it's like oh i don't know that i mean i don't i i'm not entirely sure i haven't played enough games with soothsayer but i'm not entirely sure the ai understands how to use yeah because humans can use them really good
1: And uh, speaking of that Red Death scenario, we did get, I think, also a zombie faction in that Red Death uh, scenario as well, didn't we? So who knows? Maybe we'll see a zombie horde mode in the the single-player game as well. Although, personally, since the the last uh, new game mode was geared more towards being like a fantasy kind of thing, uh, I kind of lean towards this one probably being more on the historic end of the spectrum because they have said they're going to do a little bit of both. And I wouldn't think that they would do two in a row that are the more fantastical, whimsical things. So I'm looking at something more along the lines of, uh, you know, a pandemic or Civil War thing, like what some of these uh, people in these forums have suggested.
2: I think Civil War could be interesting now that there's a mechanic actually baked in that would constrain when they happen and why.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting thing how we, you get so much pushback to some of these Mechanics that were unpopular in previous versions of the game, and it's it's like people kind of forget that. Well, but this is a different game, right? This isn't the same game as as Civ two, so the the concept would work differently, and it might work much better with uh, these new mechanics in place. And a lot of people just don't seem to consider that they just have the the knee jerk reaction.
2: Yeah, I remember how bad it
1: was in one of the previous games? Like that was a big, yeah, how that was a big the details thing. are important. Yeah, that was a big thing when Gathering Storm was announced and people were like, oh, no, we're going to have more random weather events. And people had flashbacks to the random events in uh, Civ Four where, you know, like an earthquake would just destroy half of your city and you'd have to rebuild everything. And people were like, no, we don't want that. But it's like, eh, it's 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 not that bad. Like, you know, there are some weather events in Gathering Storm that we've talked about that are problematic and other ones that, you know, like the river flooding and the volcanoes are just fine. I mean, you built the city there. You knew it was there.
2: Yeah, and, like, and I at least he now has can... problems, but it's definitely not, it's at four levels of problems. Like, it wouldn't at least now fair. you can
1: see the hurricane coming. That's true yeah. as well. You can't do jack squat about it.
0: <laughs> we can move your navy out of the way, because I've had that. I was going across continent to go with an evasion fleet. Oh, there's a hurricane. Okay, guys, go around the hurricane, please.
1: Yeah, I, I still think it would have been really nice if they would have included like some kind of like shelter or bunker or building that you could build in your cities where you could have everyone like, yeah. shelter in place to reduce the, the damage. And so you lose productivity in the city for a turn or two, but at least stuff doesn't get destroyed and you don't lose population. And there wouldn't be a, a more long-term... Uh, you know, or
0: even and- if it just... Re- reduce the chance but for like the tornadoes and the tornado families and the hurricanes it would be nice to have something like that because that's what happens in real life
1: right yeah i mean even if it's a later game building because a lot of the early game disasters like don't do much other than pillage improvements unless you have the setting turned up really high so even if it's a late game thing where it's preventing you from losing four population and having entire districts you know practically wiped off the map uh i think that would have added a lot and made it a lot less annoying who knows? Maybe that'll be the new districts and buildings in one of these uh, uh, Frontier Pass DLCs. A shelter?
3: They had a bomb shelter in Civ 5.
1: Yeah. Civ 4, I think, also had a, a bomb shelter and I think also a Fallout shelter to pre- protect your cities from nukes, if I remember correctly.
2: There, yeah, it was just a building. But yeah, it, Civ 4 had one. Um, it reduced the damage. <laughs> you weren't really protected per se, but uh, it was less bad to get nuked while that was active.
1: See anything else interesting from this forum? Do, does anyone see any other neat suggestions for game modes?
3: Most of them don't seem to be particularly game modes; just kind of additions to regular. Hey guys, games.
2: guys! Now that we've had battle royale. The next logical step is to party like it's 2012 and make a MOVA of Civ 6 <laughs> game mode. We can have like hero levels and. No?
3: the mall, middle, please. <laughs>
2: Should I like, just go play Fallen Enchanter? No, we need the League of Civilizations. <laughs> I'll use my Washington's special ability to conquer cities.
1: Well, they still have that proof of concept of the uh, Civilization Fighting game sitting in their back pocket from a few episodes ago, uh, days ago, so... <laughs> that looked
2: amazing. <laughs> oh,
0: well, while we've been discussing new game modes, and some of the things are things we remember as being slightly broken from other games a little bit... Uh, this is the threat at CFC. What do you feel is still broken in the game? And Victoria's screenshot at the top of this thread.
1: Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> this okay, AI I, passing. I, I, immediately I, triggering. I am pretty certain. <laughs> sure. I just want to say, in the game's defense, I have seen things like this happen before, and every time it happens, I find out later that there were other Civs units in the fog of war. So my guess is those two forest tiles... Uh, that are hidden, or those two rainforest tiles that are hidden by the fog of war, there are probably city-state units in those two tiles, and because they're rough terrain, the uh, worker can't pass through them
2: and has to go around the long way. That's-, that's bad too, though, because you can use that to determine the location of units you can't see, and yeah. that's been a problem going back to at least Civ 4 Correct. And, uh, it's not good, because players with enough time and will to win in, like, you know, team format competitions will easily map out uh, stuff in the fog that they shouldn't be able to see. Correct. And th- and there's no need for that, right? Like, you can use a more simple pathing algorithm that actually screws you less, too.
1: And one of the other frustrating things with... The, so the bigger frustration that I have with the pathing algorithm is that if the uh, conditions on the board change... Right, where other units move and now they block your unit your unit will completely repath and potentially take a completely different route which sometimes will result in it walking back and forth between a few different tiles or going in circles because the other civ's unit is moving back and forth and blocking one route then the other and your unit keeps changing based on what that other unit is doing and there's no notification or anything to tell you that your unit has changed where it's going so you don't know, you might not know that this is happening until you go to, like, you know, five, ten turns later, check on whether or not that unit ever got to where it was going, and it's still halfway across the map going around in circles around a mountain somewhere.
0: It sounds exactly yeah, like
3: Harvester's like like- doing a dance back and forth in Command and Conquer when they run into each other.
2: <laughs> I'd forgotten like- about that, but yeah, that's not a bad comparison.
0: It's like, is there a simple way to just interrupt it if its path gets blocked to the original tile? I mean, I guess the game doesn't know how long it was originally supposed to take, so it thinks as long as it gets there, it's fine. But you think, after it's been blocked, like, X number of times, hey, do you want to reroute this?
3: Well, there is a thought that they could do something like that, because there is obviously the mechanic where if your path is stopped by a barbarian, your unit stops and you're asked, oh, what the hell do you do? What do you want to do now?
1: Yeah, that's true. So they can definitely detect things like that.
3: So rather than just extending it from, instead of just being barbarians or slash enemy units, possibly just be like, any unit has showed up in your assigned path and be like, oh, I need to change this.
0: Anybody you can't pass
2: through. That's the best I've played with implementation. And it's very old school, but it it worked. Like, if something is in the path, you don't change the path automatically or anything like that. You just just prompt the player in that case.
1: Another very rare edge case, though, is that it doesn't necessarily have to be a unit that does that. Sometimes it can be the terrain. Like, if you have, like, that little blob of, like, one or two or three tiles that you didn't explore, you know, like, you went around it because it was being blocked by barbarians or something, and and your scout didn't go there early in the game. So your unit if you queue up a movement to go to the other side of that, your unit might try passing through it without knowing what's there. And if it does get close enough and finds that there's like a mountain or something there or a, or a lake and you don't have the uh, tech that lets you embark yet, it, that might also change its pathing, but it's, it's probably not going to be as severe as if, uh, uh if there was another unit there, but depending on like, if there's like a large mountain range or something blocking the way, it might also, you know, cause your unit to go off in some random direction and take, you know, Sid knows how long to get where it's supposed to be going.
2: Yeah. I think it's okay to just just to interrupt in that case. I agree.
1: It's less micro-hassle
2: than the alternatives, ultimately. And it's an easier algorithm, too. While we're on the topic of pathing,
3: trade route pathing is another thing that people still claim is always broken. Oh my gosh. It seems to be, I think it seems to be the case, like as soon as the trade route is either first initialized or even first becomes available, it just locks in that route for eternity. And it never changes, even if the tiles have been revealed in the meantime, or even if there's, you know, better roads, better infrastructure that would make more money, it still insists on going the way it did before.
1: I wonder if that just has to do with the fact that trade routes only move one tile per turn, so they're not technically affected by roads or terrain, so they just don't care. Like, maybe they're supposed to do that, but because they only move one tile per turn, they just, in practice, don't.
3: Possibly. However, the the screenshot here shows an example of a trade route that basically... What should, you know, take a right-hand turn and go two tiles to get to the city, instead takes a left-hand turn and takes about 15 or 20 tiles going into the water to another city further out and then looping back around through a city state to get back to the initial city.
2: Yeah. yeah, that's pretty wild. I don't see that too often. Like, I wonder if that's just, like, a literal broken, as in, that is bugged.
3: I also wonder if the game is like, no, I'm going to calculate what the best possible route for this is. It could also going. be something
2: where
1: maybe it's it's trying to go through trade hubs or something like that in those cities because that I think generates extra gold or something. And I oh, never, yeah, that's it. true. I never quite understood how that mechanic worked. Like, because I, I oftentimes will see a, a trade route unit that will go like pass within like one tile of a city, and it's like, well, so then is it getting the trade hub bonus for that city or or not? Like, does does it have to go? like actually onto the city center tile or does it just have to go within a tile or two of it or just pass through its borders? That was a rule, another like one of those really weird nuanced rules in Civ six that isn't very well explained that I've never understood in like the, how long has it been now? Three years that the game's been out four years, something like that.
3: It has to go through the city in order to get the extra gold from a trading post.
2: Yeah, that's what I thought. That was how I interpreted it, yeah. yeah. It but, also like goes I said, through
3: I, the city and the trading post if it wants to extend its route. Like I said, I, have,
2: I see plenty of
1: examples where it doesn't, and even in this screenshot here that's posted by uh, Oralesk in this forum thread, it, I, I think the trade route is coming from Rotterdam, right? And then going through Harlem, and then Amsterdam, and then it passes within one tile of uh, Gronegou? I'm not sure how to pronounce that, it's but abundant. doesn't actually enter that city. So if there's a trade hub in that city, like, is the trade route getting a bonus from it? Because it, it should be getting a bonus, right?
3: It's actually going the opposite direction, but I, as far as I can tell from this screenshot, we do know Amsterdam does have a trading post, so it might be trying to default there. Maybe the trade route can't reach Rotterdam in uh, its 15 tiles, and it has to divert to Amsterdam. It's like, oh hey, I can replenish my my distance in Amsterdam, but then it can't turn around. So presumably, there's not a trading route or a trading post in Groningen.
1: Okay, so we're actually not seeing the origin city in this screenshot. No, right? You're, we're not you're, you're, right. you're right. I saw Rotterdam in the top left corner, and I thought that was the city source, not the city destination. I, I was being dumb, UI dumb, for a moment there.
0: Yeah, at the top—it's uh, London. It's just a French way of saying. London.
1: Yeah, there's
0: a lot of things
3: in this thread like. Uh, oh yeah, the, the AI is spamming with idiotic demands when they're in no position of leverage as opposed to, by <laughs> he, oh yes, you got that right.
0: Oh, uh, well, it's good for a laugh.
1: And in terms of, like, a whole mechanic being broken, like, the demands don't do jack squat. Like, it doesn't, like, they don't declare war on you two turns later because you refuse the demand. Like, I, I think I remember Civ V, like, if you refuse demands, like, the AIs would actually do something about it.
2: And it was I, certainly I, the case in four. Civ four. They would they would immediately go, in many cases, we have enough on our hands right now, and that means that they had picked you as the war target and were committed to that as a result of you refusing.
1: Yeah. And in Civ six there's just no teeth to these demands <laughs> at all. Like it almost always seems to be the weakest Civ in the game coming and usually one that i've already beaten down and possibly captured their capital and they just have like you know two crappy other cities sitting around somewhere on the map that i didn't care enough to go and conquer to finish them off they're the ones that come to me and demand 10 gold per turn and i'm like ah you're lucky that i let you still exist bud right they said
3: they had teeth and i remember once where one of my someone said, basically said, I need you to denounce this person as a show of friendship. And I said no, and they said, right, I denounce you instead, immediately in that conversation. (laughs) Well, that's something,
2: at least.
0: Yeah, at least least they took an action for it instead of... Because I have have never had them, any time where they threaten me, follow through with it. Even when they're literally right next to me, and they could follow through with it.
1: And I'm not even sure if like agreeing to the demand really does all that much either, because I've tried doing it every now and then just to see if like, maybe it'll improve diplomatic relationships, and I don't see any meaningful improvement.
0: Kind of feels like once they're on the love train or the hate train, it's hard to de- get them off of that. They've yeah. decided, you're my enemy and you're my friend, and that's not going to change for the next however many thousand years of game time. Yeah,
1: and that was also a really big problem when Civ Five Vanilla came out. It wasn't until they added things like the spies and stuff and trade routes and stuff like that where, you know, like your spy would occasionally give you some intel that you could share with the other civs and then that would improve relationships. Like Vanilla Civ Five, once you fell into that spiral of red Diplo modifiers, it was almost impossible to get out.
3: Like, it's the same here. Like, once you once you take over someone's city, then they basically treat us as an occupied city for the rest of the game, even if it's been officially ceded in a peace deal.
1: Right, which is another mechanic. Like, why is that in the game if it doesn't seem to do anything?
0: And the newer, take a Diplo hit for owning a capital.
3: Mm. They were going on about that on Twitter not too long ago, and I think the overall response to it is, eh...
1: Uh, yeah, I was looking at that last night, uh, possibly as a topic for this episode. And it was uh, the general consensus on the the Twitter comment seemed to be that the minus five is too strong of a penalty, and it should decay over time.
3: Way too strong in the early game. You take you, you do a you know an ancient an ancient era rush to take a capital over, and basically you have no favor for the entire game.
1: Yeah, well, at least not until like much, late much later in the game.
3: Yeah, which kind of ruins you for the first few uh, Congress votes.
1: Yeah, but at least well you, you still get that first
3: vote for free. You still get and... the first vote, but you're you're not gonna be able to have much of an impact even if you do already, you know, have an advanced government and several suzerains. Yeah. You've already been losing minus five, so
1: Right. Uh on the at least uh you can't go into negative diplomatic favor though, so <laughs> I mean, it's kind of one of those things where once you get negatives at all early in the game, like, you might as well just stack them up, because it's not going to hurt you any worse than it already is. You're already at zero. Uh, Let's see, what else is in this thread? I see someone talking about the AIs not building air units at all, ever.
0: Or anti-air units. Guys, I'm coming out with you planes. You might want to do something about that.
1: That's true. I remember in Civ 5, the AIs built too many air units. Sometimes they had armies that were nothing but anti air guns. Uh, so Civ 6 uh, cor- overcorrected hard in the other direction. Yeah. The AI apparently doesn't know that air units even exist. Uh, some of the.
0: Some of the. Speaking of World Congress, the proposals, some of them are just like, Why? Give this person more grievances. Well, that's not going to do much if everybody already hates them anyway.
1: Or if they're not actually doing anything to trigger those grievances.
0: Yeah. If Gandhi's sitting up there playing a peaceful game, giving him a plus 100% grievances isn't going to do much because he's not generating grievances at all.
1: Yeah, it actually seems like it would be better if it were, like, retroactive. Like, if that uh, that World Congress resolution was, like, a condemnation of another Civ for something they already did. Like, kind of maybe more like the emergency, but without, like, the immediate declaration of war. Where it's like, okay, well, now we're going to apply double grievances for the stuff that this Civ did in, like, the last 20 turns or something.
2: Yeah, or even just give grievances. That would make it more interesting, too.
1: Yeah, that, too. <laughs> we have decided by a World Congress that we don't like you.
2: Yeah, you're you're not running your nation properly, so screw you. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Basically a diplomatic sanction as opposed to an economic sanction.
2: And and to be fair, that has happened in history. uh, Yeah. A few times where a, a group of nations just decided, you know, this one nation needs to be screwed over now. So we slap you on the wrist. Or slap you with an army, ultimately. But yeah.
0: Slap you with the Treaty of Versailles? (laughs)
2: <laughs> or a partition of Poland Again <laughs> Since that happened More than once Anything
0: else I keep seeing the recruit partisans Come up
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, Or this field like likes to call the them. Mechanic.
0: Yeah this field likes to call those up uh, uh, <laughs> Oh you made a joke About them being partisan I mean, recruitment centers Or something Yeah
2: the, the neighborhoods are partisan factories it would be nice if uh, yeah, if that weren't really a thing.
0: Yeah, because there are some times when you, it would be helpful to have just a little more housing, and you've already used up all the usual sources of that. And you're trying to make a city very tall. But no, can't have neighborhoods, because then partisan's all over my face.
2: And I would also like to point out that the UI, while it has improved over time, is definitely still not up to snuff, and it's not just pathing. <sighs> but I don't know that that's really broken as far in, insofar as that it's just inconvenient in most cases. There's only a very few instances where I would say it's broken, and the uh, pathing is one of them.
1: And if you yeah. do want to read more about how broken unit pathing is, uh, we also have uh, another thread by... Uh, Bjorn in CivFanatics forum titled "Unit Pathing," which is more ranting about the problem, which we've we've c- kind of already been talking about. So these two topics are kind of like one topic, I guess.
2: Yeah, a little bit of overlap there.
1: I've had several
3: issues of even like passing in, uh, like water. Basically, I've just just you know told a, a builder that's in a water, hey, you need to go you know a few tiles down here to build something else, and it's like, okay, I'm going to you know disembark, walk a little, or think I still have the movement, but I don't disembark and move a little bit and suddenly it's gonna take me another four turns to get back in the water. Like, I think that's still a thing. I thought they had fixed it where yeah, you, th- you disembarked you had all the movement and it took all the movement. But I think after since they got rid of that, I thought for a while they fixed the bug to make it so that the units stop thinking they have all that movement when they land, but it seems like it's come back again.
1: Another little improvement, a uh, little UI tweak that I think would help with the unit pathing problem in particular would be if they made it so that when you click on a unit, it like, should show you where they were planning on going, even if the uh, order was, uh, was canceled or uh, changed because of uh, something getting in the way, so that you can at least remember where the heck it was supposed to go. Because that's another problem, too, where sometimes, uh, and uh, Bayorn brings this up in, in the, this other thread, uh, where uh, the unit stops moving or, you know, as we talked about before, actually changes direction. And, uh, like, even if you do click to give it new orders, like, sometimes you just forget where the heck you were sending it. And especially if you're coming back to a, a, a loaded save game. I also wish that if you click on a trader unit, that it would show you the route that the uh, trader unit is following. Especially for your own trader units. Because sometimes I actually want to escort the traders, but uh, I don't actually know what what tile it's going to be on next turn. So, it's kind of like, eh.
3: I thought it was something to do, but maybe I'm misremembering. I thought I could click on one that was already in movement. It may not be a thing. It could be a bad thing. I'm not sure.
0: I want to say it only maybe shows the two cities it's going between and not necessarily the route.
1: Yeah, I think mm. in the little unit panel widget in the bottom left, it tells you like what cities it's traveling between and what yield it's generating. But I don't think on the map it shows you the actual route it's following. Now, it could be that maybe you're thinking of Civ Five, because maybe Civ Five showed you the route when you clicked on the trader unit. Uh, I yes, don't if remember I've had sure.
3: them like permanently kind of etched into the map a little bit or had a permanent overlay into the map where with, with what trader it was going where and even what it was sending for like yeah, those traders yeah, that... that were sending food or production.
1: that's true yeah, there was like an uh, a map option where you could just permanently turn those on kind of like toggling on uh, on or off yields where it just always showed all the routes. I think uh, I think one of the issues with that is Civ Six has a much higher like cap on how many trade routes there are at any given time. So having something like that on all the time might get very messy in Civ Six. But like you could still make it an option.
0: If it was just another uh, our lens, that would be good. Yeah, but I think. Well, it wasn't quite like that, but I. Yeah, the trade route showed up on the map. Yeah, I'm misremembering things, this is why I'm.
1: Yeah, Civ five and Civ six have so many similar mechanics. Sometimes it's easy to forget which one did what thing a certain way.
0: Yeah, but if we wanted to be able to see them easier, just having a trade route lens, so you saw all your trade routes and where they were going, and you didn't have to click into or click down through however many menus to find something.
1: Yeah. That would definitely be helpful. Any other highlights from either of these two threads about broken stuff and or pathfinding?
3: But again, most of the most of the people most of the things that people claim are broken are just kinda nitpicks and stuff they just want minorly changed really.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of just, like, balance tweak stuff in here that's not really a broken mechanic. It's just, oh, I saw one that was, like, Spearman should have higher strength. Like, eh, it's not really broken. That's just a balance thing.
2: Yeah. And it's the same with, like, I consider the unit queuing and city production queuing to be bad, but it's not broken it's just not well implemented yeah. I, it's inconvenient I, it's not broken
1: yeah i would consider the fact that siege units are like completely useless for their intended purpose to be much more broken than you know spearmen are because at least spearmen have their uses
3: yes yeah, just can just don't have the defense against the range attacks
0: yeah i should be taking down walls with trebuchets not with crossbows and archers or something
1: Right.
3: I think the only thing that people list as broken is just the lack of notification when a trade deal is is about to expire for the renewal. But I think that's probably more of a quality of life thing than a broken thing.
1: Well, yeah, it would also be very nice if uh, you had an opportunity to renegotiate, like, open borders and alliances and stuff like that before they expired. So you don't have that situation where you're moving your units through your allies' territory to get to a war on the other side. And then suddenly the open borders (laughs) expires and all of your units are shifted to random places on the map and put completely out of position and sometimes vulnerable to attack.
0: Yeah, it happened last week with the multiplayer game. We were trying to beat up on the last AI, and because I'd taken over a city, and in the in between turn, my my open borders with our or alliance actually with a different human player had expired. All their units got kicked out to the other side, away from the warfront. It's like, are you kidding?
1: Right, and now you can't even get there until you you know renegotiate that open board.
0: Renegotiate and. I, w- I, don't, I don't remember if it's four or five, but I think used to, once you started one, you would keep that agreement, like an open borders agreement, until they wanted something more for the open borders. And they come back and say, this is not working. You're going to have to sweeten the deal. Which that was fine because it didn't come up every like 30 turns or whatever. It was just when they got to the point where they didn't like you enough and they wanted a little more, and, you know. Yeah.
1: It would be nice to have, when you're making the diplomatic deals, to have the option to actually set the duration of the deal. So if if you are, like, really close allies with someone and you've got nothing but green modifiers with them, you should be able to say, yeah, let's have an indefinite open borders agreement and alliance. And then you don't have to keep, you know, re-clicking the, yes, let's make an alliance button uh, every 20 turns or whatever. Like, I can definitely see, like, you know, there being situations where you would want an open borders agreement uh, in particular to expire after a certain period of time. Uh, you know, because there are times where you just you you buy open borders from someone just to, like, bring your scouts or your uh, mm-hmm. you know, galleys back from the other side of the continent. Uh, but, you know, you're not really friendly with them. You might even actually be, you know, adversarial with them, but you just got to get your units back. So you bite the bullet and you, you pay them for it.
0: Yeah, and that if you, I mean, there's going to be a certain crossover point where no matter what you give them, they wouldn't agree to open borders, but even just being able to send like a 10-turn thing so you can move your units through instead of a longer-term thing, or if you've been getting along all game, yeah, we could go for 20, we could go for 30, we could go for 50 turns even, and then we'll talk about it then.
1: It would also be very nice if allied AIs and AIs with whom you have an open borders agreement would stop insisting that you move your units away from their borders. Especially when you do have a military alliance and you're fighting a common war against someone who is on their border, which is why all of your units are moving through their territory.
2: While we're at
1: it, can we stop Yeah
0: while we're can we stop the complaining about my units being on your borders when they're within my borders?
1: That too, yeah. And and like that's something that that actually generates grievances. So like, it's not yeah. just uh, the AI expressing that they're annoyed with you. Like, there's actual, like, mechanical ramifications for, uh, for not moving those units, even if they are, like you said, in your own borders.
0: In my borders, in an encampment, but because that's on your border, oh, you broke your promise to move your troops. That's my encampment. You can put a unit in your encampment, and I don't tell you, oh, you're... Broke our agreement. I was like, "All right, you can put that there. That's fine. Your territory." It,
1: it- is kind of a fuzzy thing, though, because I could definitely see there being room for you wanting to tell another civ that, "Hey, we notice that you're militarizing our border." we ask that you please stop that or else, or else <laughs> where's we're like, my version of
0: that demand. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But like the, the proper response to that shouldn't necessarily be like grievances in a diplomatic hit. The proper response should be the AI seeing that you're doing that and then putting units on the border themselves to, you know, suspecting an imminent attack.
0: Yeah. Everybody line up on the border and stare at each other. That would be more appropriate than I'm going to go and tell grievances. You're on your border. You're on my border. This next to your border
1: and that's that's what? also you militarizing your border because you're you're potentially antagonistic against a, a a belligerent rival is not something that other civs should like get mad at you for or get grievances against you for right like we have demilitarized zones in real life right and like you don't really other countries don't really get mad at the countries especially their allies who maintain those demilitarized zones if anything you get mad at them for Removing, you know, their forces from the demilitarized zone because it actually puts them at risk.
0: And and most often, another big cause of that is when your scouts are near the borders. It's like it's a scout. Do you think a whole army is going to come behind the scout?
1: (laughs) Yeah, they really should either ignore or just put way less weight on uh, resistance units. uh, For something, it has to
0: be tagged somewhere in the code as explorer. So. Do not do this demand if unit involved is explorer.
1: And really, it, it shouldn't happen if it's just one unit either. Like, it really should require uh? that you have an army near their borders, like at, at least like, uh, you know, a couple military units, you know, because there's also situations where those units are just traveling past in order to get to barbarians. Right. But then what happens is you go kill the barbarian, but then you got to come back. Right, the same way, so you travel across their borders again, and then it trips over the flag of, you broke your promise.
0: Yeah, sometimes you've put scouts on automate, and two of them decide to go the same direction, so they're close to their borders. It's two whole scouts, but, oh no, it's invading
1: army. Yeah, if your oh, military yeah, is so weak that you're you afraid scouting. of my two scouts, you have other problems to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> One other
3: thing I was noticing in this broken thread is mostly How whenever the AI finally unlocks spaceports, it just builds them everywhere. Yeah. Like, good God. Like, you can only really use one of them at a time anyway until maybe until you've already launched the spaceship and then you're just doing more stations. But even then, it's like, come on, you don't need it in like seven of your ten city empire.
1: Especially considering that they have zero airports.
3: Or yes, zero air units. That's a good thing. There's like very few. <laughs> they never build aerodrones. They may occasionally build an airstrip, I think, if they have the mill engineers around. But they very rarely build the actual air units. And I know that them um, the devs basically had to. Kind of increase their willingness to build air units in recent patches. Still haven't seen it.
1: Maybe, uh, maybe yeah. in order to get the uh, AIs to actually build aerodromes and build air units, the spaceport should actually require an adjacent aerodrome in order to build.
2: <laughs> yeah, I can no longer win space victory. Law
1: <laughs> Seems somewhat thematic, though,
3: but probably. Right, but I, also I don't know if it's broken. Also, the air is tendency to push and uh, mountain tunnels everywhere.
0: Yeah, you don't need to literally Swiss cheese the entire mountain, right?
3: No, especially because they especially because they pretty much never make national parks out of them either.
1: And having so the tunnel, them, like, I think, prevents you from building the national park because you can't yeah, build a national park if yeah. there's any improvement at all.
3: Yeah, and obviously, once you put it down, you can't remove it either. So once they put it down, that's it. That mountain is completely. Dis- disabled from ever becoming a national park even if the city gets destroyed by oh I don't know things falling from the sky <laughs> the tunnels still there can you not remove tunnels I,
1: th- I thought you could
3: nope wow. once the tunnel yeah, okay. or shapaknan has been placed it's there for eternity I think it's the same as possibly the ski resort I'm not sure huh that said maybe I haven't tested this where I've deleted the city after it's been placed but seeing as they can as these improvements can be placed in neutral territory as well I think. Good to know. But anyway, speaking of things falling from the sky, we have another thread on um, on CFC from Omega Destroyer about Apocalypse Mode that we kind of touched on a little bit earlier. And basically just stating about how he kind of found it to complete a complete letdown of a game mode. Um, Because really, it just kind of like the game ends before it gets to the good stuff because you have to get to the end of the climate change track before we start getting the fun of all of the of all the meteors raining down but you never get there in time because you've either already won or the AI has already won from the difficulty or more likely you get a diplomatic victory because there are so many disasters there are so many aid requests
1: oh yeah, did they not rebalance the diplomatic victory points nope. for
3: still 20, still 20 points in apocalypse mode
1: ouch, yeah that's, uh... <laughs> oh boy
3: yeah, and seeing as there's, you know, disasters all over the place, it's just, like, non-stop aid requests and non-stop points. Well,
2: if you want, I've been mess with Apocalypse Mode, that's hilarious.
1: If you want the uh, achievement in the Hall of Fame uh, yeah. record for a diplomatic victory, then it sounds like Apocalypse Mode is the mode for you.
3: Apocalypse Mode and generate all of the money that you can just send to everyone, or all of the production, so you can make aid, re- or send aid, for whatever it is. But yeah, otherwise, it's like, there's very little on it, really. I mean, it's just basically a uh, forced level 4 disaster mode with a couple of extra funny things and soothsayers that the AI can never use.
1: I also or wonder what, uh, what difficulty setting and game speed uh, the poster uh, Omega Destroyer is uh, playing on, because that probably also has a pretty big impact on... Uh, how rapidly, you know, climate change happens, and uh, and also the uh, AI, you know, tech parody and stuff like that.
0: Yeah,
3: because so it's be- an post that he normally normal gains on Epic or Standard, will typically ends by the time the climate change hits two or three, and yeah, it already starts at one as it is.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, one of my big soapboxes for a long, long time now has been my frustration that increasing the difficulty setting just speeds up the pace of the game because all the AIs get bonuses that cause them to power through the tech tree and get to end game stuff much earlier. Uh, and it seems like in Apocalypse Mode, that might be uh, exacerbated.
0: I, I have seen that. There's a guy I watch on YouTube who plays his own. sometimes but doesn't normally put it up on his channel who's been doing live streams with Apocalypse Mode. And it's gotten to this point where the AI just has done better than him and they're ahead of him in tech. So what he's been doing is taking the soothsayers and stuff and trying to generate more things. And, you know, the world is in Paco, so when the meteors are falling, it's even killed one of his cities. But he's like, if I can just get the meteors to fall faster, then I can be the last man standing. So there's a little fun in that, but I don't think you could do that very many times before it's like, oh, this again.
3: Sounds like the meteors are a little bit RNG as well.
1: Not that I know. I've
3: never managed to get it to a state where the meters have fallen yet because the game has always ended.
1: Yeah, it's too bad that uh, Canis wasn't able to join us uh, this morning because uh, I, if I remember correctly, he said that he actually does enjoy the Apocalypse mode. So Canis might have had some, uh, some other insights into this that unfortunately were lacking. So Canis, maybe you can post on the uh, uh, forum thread when we, when we post this episode to tell us about uh, more about what you enjoy about the mode as a counterpoint.
0: I guess you also have to be play wise matched to the level you're doing or it is going to go too fast or slow. Like if you're playing a little below level where you probably your actual play level is, it's going to go, you're going to speed through fast and you're not going to get to that before you get to your goal. Or if you're playing a little too difficult, AI is going to get there first, like what happened with this guy in his deity game. And it goes quicker if you play on quick
2: marathon for the win. Boy, I'm kidding, of course.
0: There was a time I would have considered that, but then I had a lot more free time on my hands too.
3: <laughs> I've been trying to play just on my usual setup of standards, but I mean I'm only playing like down on standard difficulty and even then it's still like, like I've gotten to the stage where I've already won the game from said uh, diplomatic victory and basically played an extra 50 turns after that and I still have only gotten to like 6 on the climate change track despite everything
2: all i know is a that common just, what, complaint in vanilla too there's just so much game where the outcome is basically decided but the game doesn't end and i think that that would be a major design improvement that they could still make
0: yeah it's like can you look at my tech and my gold per turn and the fact that i'm literally multiple times all of the ais added up together and figure out that i've got this
3: they should band together, although then we might get into that issue. There in that one patch where they basically had a you are winning minus whatever relationship <laughs> modifier.
2: Well, that that wouldn't be a big deal everything. if you could correlate that into ending the game favorably somehow, but you would need to do that mechanically, and it's not trivial to do it. Mm. Like, I, I'm making this suggestion, but I, it, with the acknowledgement that it is not. Easy thing to solve, like some of the best uh, I've seen with, like, was the Master of Orion voting uh, victory, where you just get too much control, so you can just vote yourself winner or something.
1: That's well, kind of the idea behind the diplomatic
2: victory. It just still takes too long to get there. Well, not really though, because like the AI will tend to hate you if you're running away, uh, unless you're running away like in just science or whatever. So for diplomatic, you have to be explicitly pursuing that rather than you're a runaway, so let's just call it here. Yeah, it I, is different mechanically at a conceptual level, yeah, at yeah. least as it's implemented right now. That's not to say it couldn't be uh, tweaked.
1: I much preferred uh, Civ uh diplomatic victory where like you actually got your allies to vote for you, you know, and you can bribe them or whatever to, uh, to vote for you. That uh, helped a lot.
3: There's other parts of this um, apocalypse mode that I don't know if I've ever seen what others are going on about. It, is it just me, or have I not read it correctly? Are forest fires only an apocalypse thing and not a base game thing?
1: No, they're a, no. a base game mechanic. They're a
3: base game.
0: Oh, yeah. 4%. Yeah, the forest fires and something else that I'm forgetting got added to the base game is just what can be randomly rolled if you've got the disaster level
1: on. I, I think it's the, the meteors are uh, very, very. Oh, rare. not the
0: bit Yeah, not the big earth-killing comet ones, but the little tiny ones that give you usually an... uh,
1: It's like a free unit or something. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's a free unit. It's almost always a horse-based
3: unit. No, it is. It is a horse. It's specifically the best heavy cavalry unit you can create, which has no resource upkeep. However, if you improve said unit, you have to start paying the upkeep on it. That's one promotion that doesn't follow through with upgrades. Like, I've had that a few times. I've also... um, like, I've seen the forest fires, which have, it, towards the end of Apocalypse, have basically made some, like, rainforest areas worth quite a bit by the end. And I have had a couple of solar flares, despite not actually getting towards the end of the track. Once or twice it was in relatively early game where it made no difference, but once it was near the end, and basically took out half the map, pillaged every single campus industrial zone, deleted every power plant, like, killed half the strength of pretty much all late-game units. It, it's pretty major if it gets there apparently it also like breaks uh, your tier three buildings that require power as well so you'll delete all of your stock exchanges delete your delete your broadcast towers and you'll lose any of the music that's in those Although I've never gotten to it so I don't know
0: <laughs> uh, there's, the at least, there's at least one post in this there where they're talking about just that kind of thing that it just like leveled all their industrial not just them, and everybody else. Which, yeah. a massive solar flare would do that in real life. It would not be pretty.
3: Mm. Yeah, I did it on Leo. For me, there was about a third to half of the map was just wiped out of science and production. But um, otherwise, the soothsayers are just a bit kind of odd. Especially because, I mean, obviously they can spawn disasters, We have to get them into <laughs> a position where they can spawn said disaster to where it can also still affect the enemy if you're not already at war it just kind of seems a little the concept is there I'm just not sure the execution is right or maybe I've just not played with them enough to get them like super heavily promoted so that you can have a soothsayer that I think if it's fully promoted it can go like five tiles automatically besieges the city it stands next to and that sort of thing
0: yeah, I haven't done it because I'm usually wanting the military units I need to throw into a volcano for actual warring purposes, so...
3: Or you just don't have the religion, the, the uh, faith yeah. that early to buy the first soothsayer, anyway.
0: Yeah, and start the ball rolling. Although, from videos of people trying to break the game, I have seen that, yeah, you can snowball that. Let me deliberately flood this river 11 zillion times for 20,000 of faith, and oh look, soothsayers everywhere!
3: Cough, cough, tea, tea-sipping person?
0: Uh-huh.
3: yeah hopefully maybe they can like expand on apocalypse later on like someone else i think uh, OCA later on the thread mentions that another solution would be to you know make the apocalypse even worse add alien invasions and zombie plagues and all that basically take all these mechanics that you've introduced over the last year or so and put them all into apocalypse to really show that stuff has hit the fan very much
0: got all the art assets sitting around from the red death mode for some of that so
3: may as well yeah in fact, yeah, if it, it turns out that if a city gets actually impacted by a meteor at the end, it gets replaced by one of those ruins from Red Death. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there's lots of ways they could improve it, they just need to get the lead out, I suppose.
0: <clears throat> well, this has been Polycast, episode number 365, which means you can now go through the whole thing and listen to a podcast every day! Although, I don't know if you want to go all the way back to the Civ 4 podcast. But anyway, I'm Michael Lou and with me, as usual, Mega Bears fan.
2: Uh, yeah, and you get a bonus one on Leap Years.
0: <laughs> me and team.
2: My units are probably pathing somewhere, and you can probably guess where that is.
0: Uh, flanking, yes, definitely flanking. Eric turning is co host, the Christie.
2: My job as a
3: substitute co-host has been completed. I'm now going to be sent into the middle of a field where a meteor will come down and smite me
1: to death.
0: Oh, wait a minute. I forgot to buy soothsayers. I knew I needed to do something.
1: Well, that makes me glad I'm not a a guest host anymore. Jeez.
2: (laughs) You get protected from this.
1: I didn't know that's what happened to them after they left the show.
2: That's right. We can never retire. Never. Oh, dear. Well, that's one way to get to 9,000 guest co hosts, I guess.
0: (laughs) Or 9,000 episodes. Yeah.
2: I prefer
3: the regularity of how often you do them, though.
0: We might get to half a thousand someday.
3: Maybe. Longly into the future.
1: And now is the copyright stuff. Let's see if I can remember all this. Uh, Civ 3, Civ 4, Civ 5, Civ 6 audio clips. Copyright. Take 2. Interactive. Uh, Polycast is copyright. Thepolycast.net. Did I do it right?